0: Good morning everybody. Good to see you here at Calvary Baptist. My name is Steve Holstein. If you are a guest that has never filled out a visitor's card, please fill out one. Get that to me because you'll get a handwritten letter from me. You'll get a phone call from me or a text if you prefer. So if you are a guest that's never filled out a visitor's card, please fill one out in the pew. Make sure that gets to me so I can make contact with you and let you know we appreciate you being here. If you would please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, we're going to continue our, <clears throat> our series of the birth and development of the church as we walk through the book of Acts, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, from the front of the book to the end of the book. And I've entitled this message, The Disciples Engage the Opportunist. Now I know lots of times we use that word opportunist and we think of it as a uh, maybe a negative thing. Um, if you've ever been sold a car... Sometimes it's a positive thing. Sometimes it's a negative thing. Someone takes the opportunity to uh, find out your need and, and find you everything you don't really need and sell it to you. But in this context, it's, it's, it does have two negative, I guess, directions, but there's also the, the good direction, and we're going to read that. If you would, please stand as I read Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10, <clears throat> and then I'll have prayer. We're going to see that Peter and John take opportunity also in a, in a positive sense. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. <clears throat> now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, uh, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask or beg alms for those who entered the temple In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that uh, that you would give me clarity as I tackle the text and present the text. Give me clarity in my speech clarity in our thoughts may you illumine the text to us and father we know your word never returns to you void so father you accomplish what you desire to accomplish with this text whether it be in a believer's heart what you need to accomplish or be to a non-believer what needs to be accomplished father reveal to us by your spirit what you would have to say. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As uh, Last week, as the church was birthed and 3,000 people were saved, and even by the end of that chapter, more were being saved daily as God added to the church. As as this church was birthed and they were fellowshipping, they were worshiping, uh, they were baptizing, they were discipling, uh, they were showing benevolence towards one another in the body. Well, today in our text, John and Peter, or Peter and John, however you'd like to say it, they they go to do something they normally do. They went to the temple to go pray. And it was a particular time of the day. There were three times that the temple was open that you could go in and pray, and this was the third uh, the, the, the time where they went to pray and they went there to devote themselves to god i 'm sure they were praying the very same kind of things they were praying earlier when they were when they were there in that that upper room and they were just praying that God would uh, empower them to be witnesses they 're going to god, going to the temple perhaps to maybe uh, thank God for all that has happened so far, and that Jesus did keep his promise. The promised one came and empowered them and and, th- and at that time they were witnesses to to Judea Samaria. Jerusalem and other most parts of the world at that very immediate time they were, and they were just probably thinking, "What does this all mean? Where are we going to go from here?" And there's Peter and John; they're going to the temple to pray, and as they're walking into the temple, outside the area where you would walk in to go and pray, they saw a man uh, sitting there that was lame, and 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 it says in the text that he was put there daily. He was put there daily because being a lame man, he couldn't work for a living. And, of course, they didn't have disability or SSI and all those kind of things that we might have in place uh, nowadays to help somebody that perhaps couldn't work. And so he had to rely on begging for alms. And there he was, put there daily, right there by the, they called the beautiful gate, where people would come in to go and pray. So he was put in a very opportune position for a very opportune uh, uh, position you know, there he is lame, and he's waiting for people to be able to give to him. And so, as this uh, as this story develops, uh, Peter and John, of course, Peter specifically speaks to this man because I believe Peter understands he understands this man's need. Obviously, he probably has he perhaps he maybe seen him there before. I don't know, but he knows this man's real need. He really needs Jesus, and until Jesus does something to awaken this man's spirit, some miracle, some authenticating miracle, which we read in the text, he rises up to walk again. The man won't believe. And so God knows exactly what you need to be convinced of, what I need to be convinced of, whatever he needs to do to authenticate to you that the gospel that we preach is real and open your eyes, God will do it. And in this man's case, he healed him of his lameness. He stood up and he walked. And we know he believed because he went into the temple praising God. He went into the temple praising God. And these people saw this man like, what in the world's going on? And they said, whoa, that's that man. And that man was praising God for his healing. So I believe the man was a believer. I believe the man was a believer because Peter says, I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So obviously the man had some understanding of the gospel and believed. Perhaps maybe he had been hearing some talk of all those people from the day of Pentecost going in and out of the temple. Maybe he hurt heard some things about that. We don't know. That's all speculation. That's digging up my navel. I'm, I don't know. But we do know this, that when Peter said that, the man didn't say, who? What are you talking about? The man simply responded to the message of Jesus Christ that could raise him up, and it raised him up, and he gave God praise. And he went into the temple To praise God for what Jesus had done. So I've entitled this, The Disciples Engage the Opportunist. In our story, we're going to find three opportunists. Like I said, sometimes we think that is a negative thing, and and it can be. Like I said, uh, and I pick on car salesmen, I mean anybody selling anything. I get phone calls all the time on my phone, and they either say, if they say spam risk, I don't answer them. But if they say Mounds, Oklahoma, Watts, Oklahoma, Cleveland, Oklahoma, I'm going to answer because I don't know if it's one of you. I don't know if it's one of my former hospice patients. I don't know if it's a former employee that I just don't have a contact. So I answer. And, of course, we know what they are. They're all about either my medical benefits or I've won the lottery and a convertible uh, Mercedes Benz or something like that. And, and if you talk to my wife long enough, I like messing with these people. They want you to say yes or no. They ask a lot of questions that will force you to say yes or no, but this is not what you want to do because they'll record that. I don't know how they'll use it, but they'll record it. So let's just say someone calls on the phone today and it says Watts, Oklahoma, like it did a couple weeks ago. So I answered, I said, hello. And, of course, when you hear it go bloop, then you know already what it's all about. Bloop. Well, it was this guy that had a very heavy um, Pakistani accent. And he starts talking to me, and he's doing whatever he's doing with his spiel to make me say yes or no. And I say, are you calling from Watts, Oklahoma? Uh, yes, I, I sir. Oh, so you know old Bob Smith, don't you? Pause. Oh, yes, I Bob Smith. I said, well, you're a liar. And I hang up on him. So, so I mess with him a lot. But I never say yes or no. I, I ask questions to their questions. If they tell me I've won a million dollars, I said, so the next thing you need is my social security number? Oh, no, sir, I just need your checking account because we got to pay our Oklahoma taxes. Well, I paid my taxes with my my five wives and 15 children. Which wife are you talking about? And I just get crazy on there, and pretty soon they hang up on me. So there's opportunists out there that are negative, right? And there's negative opportunists out there. Then there's people uh, like the man there, the lame man. He was placed there daily for what? An opportunity, an opportunity to get a handout because he couldn't make any living. So he was there begging for alms. He was looking for an opportunity. We also see that Peter and John saw an opportunity, didn't they? They saw that man that not only had a lame need, a begging need, but Peter, out of his own words, you need to know Jesus. And he saw his greatest need. But what we'll also know if you were to read enough history that one of the reasons they put that man there is because it was known for people to come to the gates to impress God, an opportunity to impress God. Oh, look what I gave this man. Oh, I'm going to the temple. It was all about them. So there were opportunists there hiding within the text. And many people tried to find opportunity to, to impress God. This man was looking for an opportunity concerning his limited needs. Those that are trying to impress God, they're limited in their righteousness. But Peter and John were there for the right opportunity. They just wanted to spend some time devoting prayer to God. So there's nothing wrong with an opportunity or an opportunist. It all depends what their motive and their agenda is or their goal is, right? And so what I want to talk about, is four things, four things at the temple. The first thing we'll talk about is the routine at the temple. The routine at the temple. Look at verse one through three with me again of chapter three. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid. They laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seen Peter and John about to go in the temple, asked for alms. There is the routine at the temple. As I made mention before, I don't know how often Peter and John, over the years of their life, they knew you could go to the temple three times a day to go pray to God. And I'm sure there's no telling how many times they had seen people sitting there begging for alms. Because it's, it's an opportunity, uh, obviously, for them. And obviously, an opportunity for you to give and, and things of that nature. So there was a routine here, apparently, of at least John and Peter in our text. They had a routine. They had a practice of going to the temple that day to have formal devotion before God. They went to the temple as a practice to go and pray. There they already were, the New Testament church. It had been birthed. Peter had preached his first real sermon and said, turn from your perverted ways. This perverted generation, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ and be saved from your sins. And there's John and Peter making a practice of formal prayer together just as they had prayed when they walked with Jesus and struggled with it, just as they prayed when they were waiting in the upper room waiting for the power to fall. Now they're continuing that practice. They have a routine at the temple, apparently. John and Peter had a practice to have formal prayer together, and this time they decided to do it at the temple. Not only was there a routine at the temple for John and Peter, but as we read, the lame man had a pattern. He had a pattern. They had a practice. He had a pattern. And his pattern was, is that somebody would put him right there by one of the open gates that go into the temple for people to give and, and pray. The, the, the pattern was, set him down there daily so that he could ask for help, had his hand out. Then there was the third crowd that I, wrote, that I mentioned to you before. <clears throat> the third crowd went to the temple often in their own piousness. In their own righteousness. And they looked forward to seeing someone like that lame man. Because number one. As they went by and gave him something. They knew you saw him. And in their in their wicked minds. And their dead hearts. They think they're impressing God. And uh, you know it's no different today. But those are the three people we see. In routine at the temple. Peter and John making a practice. To go and pray there. The man having a pattern reaching out for help, and the crowd that would come there with their pious, their pious uh, displaying their works openly for people to see so they can impress man and impress God. <clears throat> then verse 4 through 5, there is the recognition at the temple. The recognition at the temple. Look at verse 4 and 5. And fixing his eyes on him, that is Peter, Fixing his eyes on this man who saw opportunity when he saw Peter and John coming up there. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting, you see the opportunity? Expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. But that which I have, I give you. And he talks about Jesus. So in verse 4 and 5, there is the recognition at the temple. Peter and John recognizes his need. They see a lame man. They recognize the need of the man. Peter fixes his eyes on that man. And on that man's greatest need. He knows the man's lame. He knows he needs sustenance. He knows he needs funds. But Peter fixes his eyes on him and looks at that man and says, Look at me. Apparently, this man, when he would sit there, he wouldn't even look at people. Alms for the poor, just kind of look straight ahead. He was in his pattern, right? That was his routine of opportunity. Alms for the poor. And Peter says, Look at me. Look at I'm talking to you. I'm not just gonna give you something, throw you a little something, a little bone. Look at me. There was a recognition at the temple. Peter and John recognized a man with a need. But also that lame man fixed his eyes on those men. And he just assumed that they would give him a gift. He had no idea what Peter was about to do. He had no idea that the gospel of Jesus Christ was going to be laid upon him. He had no idea that Peter was going to mention Jesus the Christ, that that man from Nazareth that he preached about just some time ago, whom people crucified, and God rose him from the dead. But he did recognize that these men paid attention to him, because once Peter saw him and said, look at me, then the man looked at them, and he fixed his eyes on them. There was a recognition of the temple. You know, lots of times it's real hard to, for you to sit in here and look, right? I look. I see your responses. I see a smile. I see a, one of these or something like that. But I, I, I look, and I try to be an observer of things. I try to be. And it, sometimes it's real hard for me because as, as, uh, as Brian has mentioned to Karen, he says, hopefully Steve won't talk all the way home. So my, my mouth's always moving. I'm always talking. I'm always thinking out loud. But sometimes you just got to look. And Steve's got to tick a lock, you know, and just listen and look. Well, at this temple, the only reason there was a recognition is because when Peter and John were walking up to the temple, they had already seen the man. They knew what he was there for. That man was looking for them too, but he didn't have his eyes on him until Peter said, look at me, look at me. And then the man looked, expecting something. Lots of times when we share the gospel, people need to know that we're speaking just to them. And the Spirit of God does that. The Spirit of God knows how to stir a heart. That's why we preach the way we preach, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, so that the text will come out of the page and speak just to you. It's given me something. Obviously, I'm laying it out in front of you. But I pray that as I'm I'm pulling from the text, God gives you something. As I look out on the crowd, I may not know your specific need, right? Because I'm not sitting there reading your, your heart or your, your brain. But I know you're a human being. And I look out there and I see people that they need to hear something from God. They need to hear something from Jesus. So there was a recognition of the temple. There was a routine at the temple. And that routine, if you think about that routine... Peter and John were in a a practice to go and pray. Why? Because they loved God. The man was at the temple daily because he loved getting money to provide for himself. These pious people are at the temple because they loved attention. So there's that routine. There's that recognition. And then in verse 6 and 7 that I almost read a moment ago, caught myself. The restoration at the temple. The restoration at the temple. Look at verse 6 and 7. When Peter said, look at us, he recognized him, we recognize you, and he recognized them. Verse 6. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Walk. And he took that man by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately, immediately, his feet and ankle bones received strength. There was a restoration at the temple that day. There was a routine at the temple. There was recognition at the temple. But in this restoration, John and Peter gave to this man what they did have That dealt with his greatest need. He needed Jesus of Nazareth. He needed to know that there is one. Who has come. To save him from his sins. He needed to know. That Peter and John weren't there to give them what they had. But to give them what they knew. And whom they knew. And Peter spoke Jesus to him. And with that Jesus it gave the man life to his ankles and to his feet. The restoration involved Peter and John speaking to the man about his greatest need. The restoration of the temple involved the man responding, responding to that greatest gift, Jesus of Nazareth, life. So at the restoration of the temple, life was expressed Life was given. The man's legs that once were lame and crippled and could do nothing, God gave it life through Jesus Christ. The restoration of the temple is a picture. It is a picture of you and I laying there in our own lame, either guilt of sin, self-righteousness. We're just sitting there begging, seeking attention. Choosing our own needs over our greatest need. And someone in your life, someone in my life, or maybe several people over a period of time shared the truth of Jesus Christ, who this Jesus of Nazareth was. And once God felt there was enough seed laid on your heart, he birthed it. And all you did was respond to that life, and you stood up. Not because you even knew that someone was coming to you that you would have life, all you knew is they were coming to you. And they might have even got your attention and said, look at me, I'm trying to tell you something. There was a lady at one of my camps that I went to as a teenager. I didn't get saved at that time. But she was a young lady, actually a college age. She was there sponsoring. So she was real cute to this 15-year-old. And our cabins were about a quarter mile from wherever all the activity was. And it was break time. So I finished doing whatever I was doing at the big building. And I was walking towards the cabin. And, of course, like I said, I thought this girl was real cute. She was probably like a freshman, sophomore in college, cute as a bug's ear, from Marlow, Oklahoma. It was part of the presbytery that I went to. I went to a Cumberland Presbyterian Church at that time. And as I'm walking down the road, she kind of catches up with me. I'm like, oh, ooh, she caught up with me. Oh. See, I'm looking for an opportunity, right? Yeah, ask her, you want to go to lunch? Will you give me a kiss on the cheek or whatever? You know, How are you? you know, like all the opportunity. But she had another thing in mind. Because by the time we got to my, my cabin, there was a little wooden porch there. And she said, let's sit down. I'm thinking, wow, she wants to sit down next to me. And then she begins to share the gospel. She said, I want you to look at me, Steve. Oh, yes. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? If you died right now, do you know you go to heaven? Now, I'm not going to say a light came on because it didn't come on. I was still thinking of all the other opportunities of this college freshman. But I look back now and I realize it was a seed planted. Because I gave her, oh, I was baptized, when I was seven and a half, I... I asked Jesus in my heart when I was seven and a half and everything. But there was no life change. And we talked about that, too. She even confronted me on that. But that's okay. And in that opportunity, you see, I didn't find restoration. But I still remember standing on the north side of Central Baptist. Stories like that came alive to me. I was like, ah, that's what she was talking about. Oh, that's what so-and-so... Oh, that's what my Sunday school teacher used to tell me about. And it came to life because God opened my eyes. God birthed within me a response. And it was an irresistible response. I had no other choice, if you want to call it, but to come to Jesus because now I knew he was the way, the truth, and the life. This man saw restoration at the temple. Peter and John came to him about his greatest need. And that man just assumed they were there for his basic need. And then when they said, I don't have silver and gold for your basic need, but what you need is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now rise up and be healed. He responded to that life. And is a picture of salvation. Once again, as we see the miracles throughout the book of Acts, like when they spoke in languages that they didn't know, but the hearers did know, Those were signs and gifts that were authenticating the very gospel they were preaching. And so in this case, God used the gift of healing to authenticate this message of Jesus Christ the Nazareth. And we know that this man believed more than he was just healed because he went into the temple praising God. He didn't just say, wow, just what happened here? He knew it was by by the gift of Jesus that, that Peter said, I do have that. Boom. He gave God praise. So there was a restoration in the temple that brought life. There was a recognition in the temple that caused them to look. There was a routine at the temple that was based off their love. Devotion to pray. Devotion for begging. And devotion for attention. That's what they loved. Then last but not least... I want you to see in verse 8 through 10 the reality at the temple. The reality at the temple. Look at verse 8 through 10 with me. Get my page turned here. So he, that is that man that stood up and his ankles and ankle bones and feet bones received strength. So he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple With them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. So who was he giving attention to? God. Then they knew that it was he, that man, who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate every day of the temple. And they were filled with wonder an amazement at what had happened to him. Do you see how that gift was not only authenticating to that man whom he needed to believe in, but God was using this man before the others in the temple to authenticate what Peter and John were doing. The reality at the temple was is that they entered God's temple with giving God credit, giving God the glory, that's a reality. They were entering, the, they were, the reality of the temple was, is that they were, they were not only entering the temple to give God the glory, but they were entering God's temple showing God's work. It's one thing for the man to maybe stand outside there begging alms and maybe, clunk, something goes to the cup and say, well, praise the Lord. It's another thing for the man to not have to beg anymore. Stand up and say, praise the Lord and show and and demonstrate God's power to change someone. And so there was a reality in the temple that day. And the reality was by that man praising God for his healing and by those people hearing the praises of God and that this man had been changed, the reality was that the Lord was at work. The Lord was at work through John and Peter. I'm sure so many times those people gone into the temple. Some maybe went in there like Peter and John because they're devoted to God. Others might have been there to impress God. Others might have been there begging for things. But on this day, the reality of the temple was is that life was given. Life to a man's legs that were Dead that could not move without God doing some miracle. And the reality is, is that when they walked into that temple, everything became about God. Now, they recognized it was that man, but they were hearing from that man, it was God that did this. And so, as the disciples engage the opportunist, they engage him with his greatest need. And his greatest need was that God needed to, as we sang, touch him, change him. Do something beyond what man can do by giving money. Do something beyond what man can do to pray for that man. Instead, the disciples engaged this opportunist with his greatest need. And that is God needed to touch him and give him life. As we think about the three... I hate to call them opportunists because I know it's usually a negative thing. But the three opportunists, Peter and John, saw an opportunity to devote themselves to God. That's why they went to the temple. They just saw an opportunity to go and devote themselves to God. But listen, their devotion was a limited devotion. You know that? You know what it was limited to? They only prayed to God. And that's one thing this world doesn't want to hear, is that this gospel is exclusive jesus is the only way the only truth and the only life and unless you come through him you'll not be with the father so in one sense as they went in their devotion to god it was under a limited view and the limited view was is that god's the only one we can trust god is the only one we can depend on and as a church We're going to do things. We're going to have brunches and we're going to have this and I'm going to do that and you're going to do this and that and all those things have their place in the equation of everything but ultimately we're limited to our dependence on God to do anything with this church, with your family or with yourself. You are dependent on God. Dependent on Him wholly. You know as well as I do and I don't need to bring up sore spots but your pastor could die tomorrow and if you're relying on me guess what it's going to hurt and you're going to be disappointed it doesn't mean you don't have some dependence on me interdependence on I have a dependence on you I mean you know interdependence right but until we as a church I talk about the church universal realize that leadership has its place fellowship has its place and we'll find more about that tonight on Sunday night in Nehemiah Everybody getting organized to do their role. But the point is, is we better start depending on God. We need to depend on God. We were talking a little about in Sunday school, all the birth pains and the different things that are happening in the world and the things we can't control, the economics and the demographics and the geopolitical, all those things we need to be involved in, we need to be participant in, we need to be praying about. But ultimately, we need to be dependent on God. And that's when I told him in Sunday school. I said, I know where Joey's at. He's, at, he's in Djibouti, Africa. He's guarding a 30-mile radius around Camp Lemoneer. And it's right there on the south side of the Red Sea where everything's happening in Yemen and Somalia and everything. But you know what? I'm not scared. I'm not scared because when he signed up for just the Army Guard, weekend warrior, he said, Mom and Dad, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. And I can bank on that. I went to a funeral... Friday, went to a funeral Friday, a young man that was 32 died all of a sudden. He had diabetes, he had weight issues, he had sleep apnea, everything was against him physically. But he did, he died suddenly. And I sat in that church next to my sister because both me and her knew the mother of this child through high school and different friends growing up there in Owasso. And I was very disappointed. It became very man-centered. It wasn't that they weren't talking about him and shouldn't have. They should have talked all about him. But when it came time for the preacher man to stand up and read John chapter 14, he only read verse 1 through 4 and reminded everybody that Jesus has provided a place for all of us to go. And I'm thinking, and how do you get there? My preacher side wanted to say, verse 5 and 6, excuse me, because you walked away feeling better about the loss of a young man, but you never knew how he knew how to get there. We have a limited view, and we've got to admit it, our gospel is exclusive. It is Jesus Christ and him alone. And to the world, that's going to sound real arrogant. I was drafting one time, board drafting, after I got saved. And a guy was asking me questions about Jesus. I said, Well, Jesus is the only way. He said, Well, that's pretty arrogant to think that you you know the only way. I said, Well, it's not arrogant. I said, It's pretty arrogant for you to think there's any other way other than what God says there is a way to heaven. This is a limited view. And that's good news. Because that way it can't be this today and something else tomorrow. It's not relative. It's very relevant. It's very specific. But Peter and John had a limited view. They were only dependent on God to pray. They only had what Jesus could give him. So there was a limited view. But in the man who saw the opportunity opportunity to to depend on others, he had a limited outcome. Because even when he was begging, uh, depending on others, it was limited to what people would throw in there to him every once in a while. And then those that were perhaps going to the temple as an opportunity to impress God and impress man, they had a limited righteousness. And that's the gospel in itself. is that even if you can provide for your everyday needs, even if you can do things that are right, doing right doesn't necessarily mean you are right with God. Meeting your needs doesn't mean you've trusted God. That just means either you've got a handout or you know how to work and you've got a skill in a trade. So what does it really mean? It limits it back down to a view. You're either devoted to God through Jesus Christ or you're not. You either know Jesus or you don't. And here we are in our temple, our, our place of worship. And of course, we're the temple now. The Spirit of God resides in it, but we're, we're in this building We have a routine to come here, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, routines. We recognize, we looked around, we recognize things. And and even now, God could be stirring up restorative life in you, encouraging you, edifying you, building up in your most holy faith that you might do the work of God yourself. But there is a reality more than anything. And that is, God is our central message. His gospel is our simple message plea and that the only simple invitation is, is that as we preach this gospel that says Jesus Christ is the truth, the way, and the life, it demands a response. And that response is either going to be they walk away rejecting the gospel or they come and they turn to Jesus. As we walk through the book of Acts, we're going to see that over and over again. We saw the day of Pentecost. We saw 3,000 get saved. We know at the end of that chapter, and more were being saved daily, those whom God was adding to the church. But listen, one of the things we're going to find out in the book of Acts is that not every day is the day of Pentecost. Oh, every preacher wants the day of Pentecost to happen, right? But you know what I pray happens? I pray that someday, I know this sounds weird, But I pray someday, by the time we get to chapter 5 and and, chapter 4, and Peter and John are arrested and beaten for the gospel, that the church just rejoices that they counted themselves worthy of persecution. We live in a soft American church. We live in a soft American church that they they want all the handouts, they want all the attention. But they don't want to focus on that one thing, and that is Jesus Christ and him alone. And then trust God for the results. They feel like they've got to do something. They feel like they've got to add something. They feel like they've got to go around something. Why not handle it straight on and preach Jesus as the truth, the way, and the life? And that's how I felt for an hour and a half in a funeral. Uh, He asked Karen, I wasn't in a good mood. I was in a fighting mood when I got home. And that's kind of what I'm in a mood now. Because listen, until the world hears a clear, compassionate, and competent gospel, they can't get saved. The man behind that pulpit that day talked about God's love, how God had provided a place for us, that Jesus went ahead to prepare that place. He's going to come again and get you. And I'm thinking, And how does these 600 people know whom to go through to have that promise? That's all that went through my little theological mind. Although Peter and John, this is to the believer, this is an invitation to the believer here. Although John and Peter did not have a source, did not have a source of their own for the immediate need, they had an answer for the man's eternal need. The man... When he heard that answer, it was Jesus of Nazareth, rise and be healed. The man responded to the very life outside that temple, and he went into the temple with Peter and John with the idea of praising God through Jesus Christ of Nazareth who had healed him. Well, you know what? You and I will be engaging people. And God will change their life, and he'll change their life so it gives our message credibility, gives them credibility, and people will say, wasn't that that guy once? I still remember the first night I showed up at the Silver Mine in Owasso. Silvermine was a place where you could play pinball, pool, maybe a few little video games, you know, like Donkey Kong or something like that, maybe not even Donkey Kong. But I remember the first time I walked in there, and I'm telling people what happened to me the night before. And they're going, is, is that that Steve Holstein? Is that the guy that two years ago had a .42 breathalyzer on the, on the drunk test? Is that the guy that was a class clown that used everything dirty to make funny? Is that that guy? And I would hear him say that. I'd go, yeah, that's me. That's me. And I'd go over and tell him about Jesus. When I went to that funeral the other day, I saw some of them old classmates who never knew all that. And they're asking me, what do you do, Holstein? They just call me Holfarb for a nickname. I said, well, I'm a preacher. Oh, well, some didn't want to hear that. And I just kind of walk away. Said, oh, what do you mean you're a preacher? What happened? What happened? These people saw this man by a simple message. I can't feed your immediate need, but I'm, I'm telling you Jesus Christ can take care of your eternal need. And the man's life changed. And when he went into that temple, they recognized that's, that man's changed. As God uses you to minister, church, God will give credibility to that ministry, not only through what you're giving, but by what people receive. What would this message mean to a non-believer, someone who had not ever come to know Christ? And by the way, I forgot to wave. Hi, Claude. Hi, Roger. To a non-believer, what does this mean? Well, we saw in our text that Jesus was central, was central to this man's greatest need. And Peter brought that central message, that exclusive message. And as this man responded to that central focused message, it changed his life, it changed his order, it changed his peace, it changed his purpose. He now knew where life came from. He praised God. As a lost person, there will be no order, there will be no peace with God, there will be no Real purpose until you come to know Jesus. You can bring your need to God every day and you can have some of those needs met, but until you come to God with your greatest need, and that is you need to be forgiven of sin and set free from the bondage and penalty of sin, you'll not be set free. You'll be in bondage. You'll be lame. You'll be dead. You'll be blind. You'll be deaf. So we would encourage a lost person to do this. We want to tell you that Jesus Christ is the truth, the way, and the life, and that you must come to him if you're going to go to the Father, not only in this life, but the life to come, that he is the only one, that while you were still yet sinning, Christ died for the ungodly. So I'm going to ask Ken and the ladies to come forward to play our invitation And if you're here today and you're a believer, and you have some immediate need, I'm sorry, Bill and the ladies used to saying Ken. But if you have an immediate need as a believer, will you please let one of us know? Because if it is within our power, we'll do what we can. If it's not within our power, we'll find someone who can. And we'll definitely get down on our knees and pray with you. Because more than anything, God may know that person that can fulfill that need. But if you're here today and you're not a believer, your life has not been changed like this man. Where you would say, my life has been so changed, I just got to praise God, that's all I can do. I can just stand and walk and praise God. If your life has not been changed, it needs to be. And it only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And if God is stirring your heart by his grace to draw you close to him, we invite you. We invite you to come forward or right there where you're at. Bow your head and say, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ saved me because he's the only way. If you'll stand for the hymn number 634. 634, stand for the hymn of invitation, 634. Whatever your need is, let me know. If you can't come forward for prayer because of your legs or whatever, wave me down. And I will come and pray with you. Uh, Joe will turn off the mic and I'll pray with you in private. Whatever your need is, you come.